Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Syracuse football is 5-0 for the first time since 1987. Hoops preseason is underway. It's an exciting time on the Hill. Welcome into another episode of Fizz 5 alongside Cameron Azair. I'm Liam Griffin. And Cam, are you as excited as I am for what feels like the most energetic vibes around SU Athletics that we seemingly have had in a long time? I'm extremely excited. I mean, with basketball just around the corner, knowing that youth has has superseded everything with that program. And I'm I'm just really curious to see how that develops and knowing that I don't have to just look forward to basketball because football is having such a great season as well. And every sport on the hill, but specifically those two have been really uh, been the driving force behind my behind my excitement and with this football team, I mean, you mentioned 1987. If you look over the last couple of years, or at least when we've been at Syracuse, there's been no good Syracuse football. So it's a healthy change. We needed it. I think the Syracuse community needed it. And this is one year that you can't really call a fluke as maybe some, maybe not everyone in Syracuse, maybe some were calling back in 2018. So it's just nice. The vibe feels good. And hopefully it continues next week. The vibe feels really good as the weather gets cooler, and that means the heart of football season is upon us as well as the start of basketball season. Let's not waste any time and get into topic number one. Number one. After Syracuse demolished Wagner 59 to nothing in week five, they got some time off. They are coming off of a bye week heading into NC State this coming weekend. So we're going to scrap the SU football talk for now. We'll go hold you on what's going on around the nation. We'll start off in the ACC. Cam, the thing that sticks out to me most from this past weekend, NT State squeaking by the Florida State Seminoles at home by only two one week before they play Syracuse on the road. They're not exactly coming in off of a great stretch, especially when you consider they lost to Clemson the week before. It's also worth noting that Florida State is a competitor against Syracuse in the month of November, which, you know, last year, what everyone realizes what happened in November. So you're starting to, uh, you're starting to look at it from the perspective of, uh, of someone in a bye week or a team in a bye week, you almost have the glass window in front of you and you're looking out into the whole ACC landscape and saying, there's really no crazy tough composition uh, competition in the ACC outside of Clemson. And that's really good. Uh, NC State doesn't have one part of their game where you say, okay, this is top three in the country in which Clemson has constantly proved that. And many thought that NC State would win the ACC and that Clemson was sort of falling off. It's the same thing with Florida State. I mean, it it seems like NC State, Florida State are the two teams you'd hone in on, maybe Wake Forest as well, and, and maybe Pittsburgh's defense, but, you know, nothing else, right? Wake Forest. Clemson, North Carolina State, and you would say, okay, those are the biggest competitors in the ACC. But watching NC State put up a dud, and then their starting quarterback, Devin Leary, goes out for that second half, and you wonder what his status is going to be like next week. I think the reports were saying he was going to get an MRI, and then Florida State didn't really play a good game, and they were going up against a backup quarterback in the second half. If you're Syracuse, from a general perspective, you're loving what you're seeing. 
These ACC teams are beating up on each other, not in the prettiest ways. And all Syracuse is doing is sitting back with their legs up, a margarita in one hand, of course, if you're over the legal uh, uh, limit of drinking. And they're saying, okay, hey, we have every opportunity in the world to go into Clemson 6-0 and and have an opportunity to not just represent the ACC as much as they're doing now, but have a lot of momentum going into a possible bowl game. So, yeah, that NC State game really, um, really stood out, especially with Devin Leary. Uh, obviously, as someone that loves competition and that loves really good gameplay, I'm hoping Devin Leary plays next week. Because you don't want to see the excuses start to rain down if Syracuse wins. Oh, they beat a belittled NC State team. I don't want anything of that. I know you mentioned NC State, but I mean, Clemson beats up on Boston College. And you look around the ACC and say, okay, the only thing that's standing out is Clemson. I mean, let's be honest, as much as everyone wants to talk heavy about the Notre Dame game on on, uh, the weekend of Halloween, the, the one game everyone should be circling on their calendars is Clemson and Syracuse. Don't overlook NC State, but that is the star and the, uh, the the premier team in the ACC. So in terms of ACC scores, I'm I'm only focusing on how Clemson plays and looking at NC State and taking it from a general perspective and saying, are they as good as everyone expected? I think there are, while I think your viewpoint is valid, valid focusing on what Clemson does as opposed to not really giving that much thought to the rest of the ACC. I don't really like that validity because Clemson isn't the only team left on the schedule and you can't look past anyone. Just ask the New York Mets. They're probably looking ahead to the Dodgers right now and their season is about to end. But getting back on topic, you can't look past anyone, Cam. And that was true when Syracuse played Wagner and they went out and kicked the Seahawks' butt like everyone expected them to. But you can never discount the that factor of gameplay and when I look around the rest of the ACC Pitt does not look good the Panthers yeah they put up 45 points on offense but Cam you hyped up that defense they gave up 29 to a mediocre Virginia Tech squad how can you possibly tell me that defense is good after allowing 29 to Virginia Tech I know they have shown flashes in the past but that's another thing to look ahead to because that's not a game many had Syracuse winning prior to the season now I think a fair number of Orange fans and media members are counting that as a potential W. And elsewhere, Wake Forest. We, we're talking about at Clemson being a tough test and Notre Dame or NC State at home being number two. At Wake is going to be the second hardest game on the back of the schedule, bar none. The Demon Deacons offense is electric and has been even more so once they got their quarterback, Sam Hartman, back. When you have two receivers like Roberson and Perry who demolish all the competition and demolish the Orange at the formerly Carrier Dome last year, that may be the top offense SC faces all year with Purdue being in close second. So, Liam, I, see, I, I understand what you're saying, and I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying Syracuse should overlook all these opponents. What I'm saying is when you take a look at NC State, Florida State, Wake Forest, uh, um, even Pittsburgh, right? I'm taking it from the general perspective of, I expected these teams to be 10 times better than they are right now. Okay. Right. Like, and, I, and, I, and I'm not disagreeing with that. Right. And, right. And I, no, I know you're not, but I, I want to make it clear to everyone that Clemson is the top dog. And I'm not saying that Syracuse is a top two team in the ACC that NC state and Pitt and wake Forest they could disprove that. 
They could eat NC State could go out and whoop Syracuse's behind, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, this hype around the orange shouldn't be as much as it is. Like Syracuse is 18th in the country. Does everyone believe that that is their proper ranking as they just had a bye week and beat an FCS opponent the week prior? I'm not saying to overlook those teams. I'm saying I, I am as shocked as everyone else that NC State is is going through their the hoops and hurdles that Pittsburgh's defense isn't as good as expected after what happened last year that Wake Forest has an electric offense but no one's looking at Wake Forest and saying okay this team is the team to watch out for so it's more from the perspective of Syracuse is in is in great waters right now because they're playing well and every other team around them is just kind of floating around Okay, I see what you're saying, but and I was having this debate with a friend of mine the other day. The next six games, I think there is an outcome where they go five and one. I think there's an outcome where they go six and zero, oh, but I also think there's an outcome where they go zero oh and six. I think I it's more more possible for them to go one and five or zero oh and six than than six I and zero. Oh. I, I don't disagree with that, but do you think five and one or six and zero oh is a possibility? I don't think six and zero, oh, but I mean five and one, four and two. I think four, two, and five and one. Yeah, you, I, I understand what you're saying. You're you're more of the mindset that uh, th- this team, you just don't know. Like it, okay. they've been good, but have they been good against great? Are any of these teams coming up great? That's exactly, that's exactly so, yes. what my mindset is. That's exactly like that. what my mindset yeah. is. Right. That. We're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about Syracuse Saturday against the. Wolfpack squad that has really been inconsistent for the lack of a better term. I mean, I know you remember week one where they beat East Carolina of the American by a mere one point. Then they blow out Charleston Southern, who whoop de doo Then they beat Texas Tech. Then they beat UConn, who we know well, considering Syracuse wrecked them a few weeks ago. Then you lose to Clemson and squeak by Florida State. NC State has proven nothing yet. Then again, you could make the argument so has Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love where you're going with that. As much as we were we were kind of uh, uh, jiving back and forth, and maybe on opposite sides of the spectrum, I think we both agree that with seven games to go, we've learned as much about this Syracuse program as we know about what the weather is going to be outside tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. All right, real quick before we move on, jumping out of the ACC into the greater college football realm, anything stand out to you? Uh, I mean, the Alabama point is something of note because they were at home. Alabama struggled mightily on the road last year and a little bit this year. But to barely beat Texas A&M, a team that you've had struggles with, uh, you know, struggled against the Aggies last year, and, and to do so where your defense is the mainstay, I'm looking at Bryce Young and company and saying, okay, Alabama, you're winning every single ball game, but you're going from one to two, to three. I mean, when's the point where you start falling out of that four, five, six range because your wins are just not impressive. So as as much as I want to highlight anything else, I mean, uh, USC had a good game and they look really legit, but have they played real competition? I think that the, the thing of note with Kentucky losing and some of those other schools dropping further down in the rankings is you look at the top, the top dogs, like a team like Alabama, and when does it turn to it's a win? But is it that impressive? I'm just, I haven't been impressed by the Crimson Tide. Yeah, Cam, Alabama, you know, especially when you look at this particular game, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban were 
essentially enemies over the offseason with all the discussions they had about NIL and whatnot. And that had me thinking the Tide were going to come in and absolutely wreck the Aggies solely because of that factor. And that just didn't happen, Cam. And frankly, it's a it's a bad look for the Tide. The fact that you barely squeaked by the Texas Longhorns who wrecked Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry game yesterday and frankly deserved to. But it's still very disconcerting for the Tide. And even Georgia, who barely squeaked by Missouri a few weeks ago and let Kent State hang in for a game and a half. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you can point out in college football right now. I'm just so curious to see what happens in the Dome next week. And this is not just coming from someone that likes Syracuse football and likes to cover it. it to, to, to bring in, you know, what, number 15 NC State to number 18 Syracuse's home. I mean, that's going to be an unbelievable top 20 matchup, but I think it could really shake around the, the rankings. Shake around is an understatement. With that, let us move on to topic number two. Number two. <sighs> well, Syracuse will remain one of the seven Power 5 schools to have never hosted College Game Day. There was a lot of talk about it, Cam, whether or not the Orange would finally get it, considering the magnitude of their matchup with NC State. It's the first time the well-now-named JMA Wireless Dome has hosted a top-20 matchup since the turn of the century. We weren't even born the last time it happened, Cam. And the fact that it is going to Knoxville, Tennessee, for the Volunteers against the Alabama Crimson Tide, good matchup, six versus three. But game day already went to Knoxville earlier this year. Cam, what are we doing here? Wow. I mean, and I, I will, I'll, you know, I'll peel down the curtain. I'll tell everyone that I didn't know that it was going to Knoxville as of a couple of minutes ago, because with game day, it is so wacky, especially if you cover Syracuse and they're at a bye week. It is so wacky. Unless they're going to Syracuse, you're not fully aware of it. Um, I mean, going to Knoxville. I, so a couple of weeks ago on a, on a separate Fizz 5 with Carter Bainbridge, uh, you can check out that on the orangefizz.com and in every article that we put out. I think that's worth noting as well, because we also had an article about you should yep. college game day uh, come to Syracuse. Yeah, and and our editor-in-chief, DA, wrote, wrote like a – wrote as if he was a fortune teller saying this isn't going to happen, and yet we still had this hope, and – we were let down today. So I will say uh, Carter Bainbridge on this same program said he was 80% certain it would happen. Now I said it was not going to happen. No way, Jose. And a big reason why is NC State needed to be undefeated to come into Syracuse and for the Cuse to get game day. Unfortunately, they don't. They lose to Clemson. So now there's one little blemish. But you might say, I mean, right, they've already been to Knoxville. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at that matchup and penciling it in as game day because they're not going to Michigan because Michigan-Michigan State gets that one. Uh, Auburn is not good enough for Ole Miss to get it. And uh, Kentucky, I mean, they've been falling as of late. And why in the you-know-what would you ever want to go to Utah? You want to highlight USC in a different matchup. So when I was peering ahead and thinking, okay, could Syracuse get game day? I think Knoxville was the easy decision if Tennessee kept up their stride and they have. But I mean, to go there twice and, and for, for a college day, game day committee that is so hell bent on switching it up and stepping outside the box and not fitting the norm, right? You go to Boone, North Carolina. You go to Kansas, right? You go to Lawrence to watch TCU play Kansas 
that's a top 20 matchup. It's not a top 10 matchup like Tennessee is. You would think that there'd be just a little bit of consideration for Syracuse, which has never hosted a game day. And they're going up against what many would argue is the second best team in the ACC, or at least the third, right? And I think it's ridiculous that you send a crew to the same spot two times in one year. I don't think that should be allowed. On top of that, up against Alabama, does Alabama need more media? Like, no. come on. Like, not at all. And Alabama's been struggling. You have a red-hot Syracuse team that is the expectations of the world with a fan base that has gone crazy. That Wagner game had more fans than if you put the previous 19 FCS uh, games and the, the attendance to those games together. It would probably not equate to the amount of fans that were at the Wagner game. I mean, th- these fans have been raucous. There was a report that over 40,000 tickets had already been sold and were a week out. And what you're telling me is that a top 15 team rolls into Syracuse and you give Central New York no consideration, or at least they might have given them a little bit, but they didn't give them game day. There was no reports that said, well, Syracuse is down to the finalists of getting game day. And you send the crew back to Knoxville to take on Alabama. If Tennessee wins that game, I wouldn't even consider it an upset. And you're telling me that you can go to Syracuse for the first time ever. You just did that with Kansas last week. It, it is absolutely ridiculous. It makes no sense at all. And I think college game day should create a rule that if you've already been to one place, you can't go back again. Well, guess what? You haven't been to Syracuse ever, period. So you go there for a top 20 matchup because at this point, you've just ruined every opportunity to get Syracuse off that small little ledger because they're not going for Notre Dame. They're not good enough. And the rest of the games are on the road, except Florida State, but Florida, unless FSU turns into the new Philadelphia Eagles of the NFL. It's ridiculous. I'm pissed. I didn't have confidence that it would ever happen, but the fact that it, I think it came down to Knoxville or Syracuse and you go to Knoxville because it's three versus six, come on, man. Yeah, college game day just lost a lot of its credibility through this decision, and a lot of it has to do with what they chose last week to do. Had College game day gone to Texas A&M, Alabama, a rematch of one of the biggest games of last year, not to mention the added drama from the offseason playing a role. The Red River rivalry game was this past weekend. That's one of the biggest games in college football, even though the result was more than lopsided this year. Instead, they choose to go to Lawrence, Kansas, a place that is irrelevant most of the time, unless it is November through March. That's when basketball season is in full force for the Jayhawks, it it diminishes the credibility of the game day crew because you talk about wanting to go outside the box, and you do just that by going to the middle of nowhere in the college football landscape over two of the most hyped preseason matchups, perhaps annually, and now you have an opportunity to do the same thing. Go to Syracuse. There's plenty of pedigree, Whether even though it's not necessarily for basketball. You can maybe bring on – Jim Beheim as a guest picker, too. I, even though he's not great with the media, I think he would be fantastic in that role. Or, heck, you could even bring Tom Cruise on because he was born in central New York. Did you know that? Post Malone? Post Malone? Yeah. Malone. <laughs> there, there's, there are a multitude of guest pickers you have to pick from, but instead you go back to Knoxville. And this is, this is, this is the second straight year it's happened, too. Game day went to Athens, Georgia, to see the Bulldogs twice in a three-week period. And here's another thing. 
They were in Knoxville a mere three, two weeks ago. It'll be three weeks in a, on game day. It, if they had gone at the start of the season, that's another thing because it's a month and a half. But three weeks, that's borderline inexcusable. Uh, I, I've I, Again, a couple weeks ago, I said it wasn't possible. But now that I look at the matchups and now that I thought you ax whatever, like they could have gone to 10 versus five right with Michigan in the big house welcoming Penn State. Talk about a big 10 game for the ages. If they had gone, if they had gone to Ann Arbor, I don't think anyone in Syracuse would be as angry right now because they haven't been to Ann Arbor this year. Well, but, but I think then Syracuse fans would say, wait, what happens when Michigan and Michigan State happen? That's kind of the reserved game day. I just think it's annoying because you look down the, down the line and let's say Syracuse beats NC State. There was a high possibility that game day heads to Clemson, South Carolina. Absolutely. Which which means nothing. I mean, come on. You're going to send game day to Clemson with one of the best teams in the country. Like, this is the issue, is you've already hiked up Knoxville. You're going to do it again, and you've just relinquished any opportunity for Syracuse, who's having their best start since 1987, to get game day. They can't get it next week because they're on the road. Can't get it against Notre Dame because Notre Dame is having themselves quite the season, even though they just beat BYU. And then you have a November of away games with Florida State uh, littered in there, and there's no way in heck Florida State's ever ranked. Yeah, again. And if game day goes to Clemson too, Cam, it would only add fuel to the fire because game day was in Clemson a mere week ago when they hosted NC State. Yeah, again. and Okay, and I will say, the argument might be, okay, well, we just had game day a couple of weeks ago and we had NC State. That's the same argument you make for Tennessee, right? Like there is no excuse to not go to Syracuse with five and oh, is NC State now six and one or to five and one? If I'm not mistaken, five and one, right? Five and oh and five and one in central New York, top 20 matchup. In the Loud House, a place game day's never been before. That is a match made in heaven. And I'll conclude with this thought. As someone who appreciates the work college game day does, especially David Pollock, since I believe he played at Boston College, which is near my hometown, I appreciate their work a lot. They do a fantastic job on Saturday mornings. It's disappointing, it, and there's no other way around it. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know what, you know what I need right now? What do you need right now? I need some water and to get on to the next topic. <laughs> All right. That, we will move on to topic number three. Number three. Syracuse basketball preseason is underway. The Orange men's and women's squad held the Monroe Madness event in Rochester on Friday, October 7th. And Cam, I think there's a giant red flag in that sentence. And the red flag being the word Rochester. No disrespect to the people who live out there. But the whole purpose of this seemingly is to get the community involved. No one in Syracuse is going to drive 75 miles to see this. Granted, I understand that Orange Tip-Off is coming up later this week and along with Media Day and the Fizz will have you covered for both events. Follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz for the full scoop. But why, why host in Rochester? If you don't want to have it on campus at the Dome, that's fine. I understand that. You can throw it at the arena the crunch play at because it's not far-fetched to turn ice hockey arenas into basketball courts. Heck, several professional teams do it all the time. 
but to throw it in Rochester of all places, that doesn't sound right. Now, I think it's just for the Wegman sponsorship. I mean, let's be honest. I, I, I have no clue why they did this. Uh, I mean, it's it's probably a great event for for communities out there that are, you know, big Syracuse fans and, and, and it's hard to get to the Dome and hard to make that trek. But, you know, you get it, right? Like, the, New York State is so heavily leaned towards Syracuse because there's not really another major school with major sports programs in the state of New York, especially upstate New York. So I, I understand it in that light. And I, you're doing the dome thing anyway, right? So it, it's not like you're relinquishing that in order to appease the rest of the community and those on the outskirts of Syracuse, the very outskirts of Syracuse. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, again, props to them. I, I wish I had more to say on it, but it's one of those things where, okay, cool. You get the teams exposed. I will say it's good that these teams are getting exposure because compared to last year, uh, I would both say – Both of them need it. I would say 90% of both these teams, and that's combined, uh, were not on the team a season ago, right? So at least it's a nice introduction to – to the youth and the newness of both these teams, of course, with women's basketball, Felicia Leggett Jack said, Hey, uh, I'm from Buffalo or my, I went, I, I coached at, at U Buffalo. So I'm going to take all of my players and create Buffalo 2.0 at Syracuse. And then the orange said, Hey, I know that the transfer portal is meaty and we can go in there, but let's recruit our best class ever, according to Jim Beheim. So Right. I understand the introductory factor to it. Everything else. Um, I heard the showing wasn't fantastic. I heard it wasn't bad, but I heard it wasn't fantastic. So again, you got the Wegman sponsorship, right? You, you introduce the teams to the outskirts of Syracuse. And again, I say outskirts with a, a little bit of grain of salt because that's more of outskirts. That's a long trip. And you you found a way to involve a community that that might not make the trek. So for all intents and purposes, bravo. For every other reason, I I don't know why. That I I wish I had. I wish I could give you more insight on what happened. But unfortunately, I looked at it. I read up on it. I tried to understand it. And at the end of the day, I didn't understand it. Okay, so let's circle back to your point about Syracuse really having fully captured New York in terms of college teams to root for. Can you name another school in the state that is anywhere close to having the name brand and marketing ability that Syracuse has? Are you saying in a basketball sense? Yes, or even just generally. Even just generally, I mean, no, but basketball especially, no. I mean, many would consider Syracuse a blue blood, or at least at one point they were. And if you look at any ACC uh, lists or any just college basketball lists, I mean, Syracuse is at the top with Duke, North Carolina, maybe not in championships, but in terms of popularity, maybe yeah. not the last, you know, last five, six, seven years, but a decade ago, uh, Syracuse, they were perennially the number one team in the country. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah, so to, to answer your question in a long-winded sense, in basketball, no. Okay, yeah, especially when you consider St. Bonventure, who's been good in years past, has been inconsistent with that. And St. John's, can you tell me the last time they were relevant? No, you can't. 
Yeah, I could. Yeah. If they play Syracuse on the, in that little Barclays center, uh, little tournament in the yeah. second game. It's, it's very possible. I'd, I'd love to see it happen, but circling back, I get it, but it's 75 miles away from home. And if I, you seriously aren't going to tell me that folks who live in Rochester aren't going to make the trek up I-90 East to come see Syracuse play Duke or North Carolina. When is the last time Rochester has had any team near that level of, I mean, or I guess what I should be asking is, can you name a college or professional sports team in the Rochester area? Don't go to, don't go to Buffalo. Cause I know you're thinking that. Can you think of a team in that area that would make you want to go see? I mean, how about the Rochester Institute of Technology? <laughs> no. no. Exactly, exactly. So if you want to go out there, I see the logic behind it. And I know I'm playing devil's advocate a bit, bit here, but fact of the matter is I don't know if going out to Rochester is the best way to expose the community to the product you're trying to offer, especially when you consider that it's not your primary market. Look, we know what your primary market is. It's Syracuse, and there's really no debate. Heck, if you want to stretch out the Rochester to, we'll go with Schenectady because U Albany because Albany has U Albany. That little area is Syracuse basketball from east to west. And Cam, I just don't know if going to Rochester. Granted, I understand why they did it, but what positive impact in the long term? Will that have, especially Cam, when Orange tip off is less than a week away? Well, what what is the negative, right? So I okay. would say that's what I argue, right? Jim Bayheim is from around that area. I know Felicia Leggett Jack has had her had her fingertips around that area in terms of recruiting, and and there's a few Rochester players that are, are uh, natives of Rochester that she took from Buffalo over to Syracuse. Of course, not actually took it. It was their decision to leave, but she probably had. Uh, you know, had a little bit of a say in that. Uh, so I would just, I, my devil's advocate point to your devil's advocate point would be what is the negative? So okay. for, for, that, for that, yes. But I mean, in terms of, in terms of if this should be a headline, no, I, I mean, it really means nothing. I, and again, for that community, I, I really hope that it exposed them to the, the, the new culture surrounding both Syracuse basketball teams, because a lot of it is new and needed, might I add. Yes. But other than that, Liam, other than that, Liam, no. Hey, you talk about the culture. I mean, this, the women's program was, had really fallen from grace up until they bring in Felicia to get Jack. And now it's an entirely different ride because we've seen her around central New York. I saw her throw the first pitch out at a Syracuse Mets game. And I hadn't seen a fellow that jolly in a long time. And one of my friends in the band told her, told me she stopped to say great job as they were rehearsing. And it's something you certainly would not have seen from Von Reed a season ago. Yeah. I mean, Felicia Leggett Jack brings a, a mindset and a mentality of loving the game that a lot of coaches can't bring because 
they don't understand what makes the game of basketball so pure. And she did during her playing time and she did during her coaching career and as it has continued. And that's why she was the perfect selection for Syracuse. And this is the one time where you look at uh, uh, Syracuse as a whole. And maybe it is you look at the athletic director, John Wildtack, or maybe it is you look at all the higher ups at Syracuse and you say bravo. I mean, it's not like it's not like everyone was looking at Twitter that uh, higher ups were looking at Twitter and saying, hey, yo, everyone wants Felicia Leggett Jack. Let's just get her. They answered the call. They answered the bell. And Leggett Jack is going to bring is going to bring what was brought in that 2015 national championship runner up season. She's going to bring that type of of joy and jolliness to the game that not just Syracuse women's basketball needs, but just as the football team's doing, she's going to enhance the Syracuse community and their love for the sports team. So I'm excited to see it. Yeah, Cam, and especially when you consider among the recruits brought in, SU royalties, heir, Lexi McNabb, the daughter of, yep, Donovan McNabb, coming in as really the prize recruit seemingly, of Felicia Get Jack's inaugural season in Cam, it's just reinvigorating the fan base, along with the, if we want to shift over to the men's side real quick, the new freshmen. These guys don't know anything about the youngins. They don't, I mean, sure, you may know Judah Mintz is a four or five-star recruit, as is Justin Taylor and Chris Bunch, but get to know them a little bit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to what the Syracuse basketball, what these, both of them, they have to bring. Because as I was teasing a little bit and when we first opened up this Fizz 5, there's a lot of things to cover. And the storylines that Syracuse football has created for themselves, Syracuse basketball did that in the preseason. So as much as, again, I don't, I don't want to sit all over this Monroe Madness thing and say, oh, it was a bad idea. I just don't understand it because I'll be honest, didn't even know it was happening. So in terms of advertising, what was going on, doesn't make much sense to me, but again, no negatives to it. I hope more communities start to realize that Syracuse basketball and women's and men's, those two teams are, are heading in positive directions. Indeed they are. And next up on the docket for both programs, media day, this coming Friday, the women will start it at two men at four. Then Orange tip-off immediately after that. You can follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz for updates throughout the event, and we will also have a Twitter space when all is said and done. Let's move on to topic number four. Number four. Another day, another day with no recruits in the class of 2023. After what we alluded to earlier, what Jim Beheim called his best recruiting class ever, he has a sack full of nada on October 9th. At this point, we already had two, three recruits sign, and I know a few signed in the month of October, but Cam, the fact that you have zero on October 9th when your rivals in the Atlantic Coast Conference are already piling them up the wazoo, it's a troubling sign. So you might say it's a troubling sign. I need everyone to head to theorangefizz.com and check out my story that I posted a week and a half ago called Same Old Story, the Q's Gone Fishing on Four Star recruit Thomas Sorber and, and to add more context to that and why I, I'm even you know throwing it out there as a as a good read is that's a player in the class of 2024 and I've said it time and time again with Carter uh, I've talked to Liam I've talked to you behind the scenes not even just on yeah. Fizz 5 I don't mind 
that Syracuse has no recruits in the class of 2023. Now, now you could call me crazy and you have every right to. And I, again, I've alluded to this prior. I, I might be a little crazy, might be a little nuts, but I don't really mind that Syracuse doesn't have any recruits because of how college basketball, the direction it's heading in. I mean, the transfer portal will be the new uh, recruiting class, right? With so with it being with it being so open to so many players because there is no penalty to going to a new program. I think Syracuse is doing the right thing. I know that they're trying in the class of 2023, so it's not like they're not trying. But I think they're doing the right thing in not trying to go fishing even more. Now, what concerns me the most uh, about the the goose egg is, is this the direction that recruiting is heading in with Syracuse? Can they rely on any four or five stars to come to Central New York? That concerns me for the future. But with how Syracuse is doing right now, you just had your best recruiting class, right? Or at least most deep recruiting class. You have six freshmen, right? You have Samir Torrance and Joe Girard. One of those is a transfer product. He might start for you. Joe Girard's probably out the door. I don't think anyone really minds that because there are a lot of really good one and two guards that are already at Syracuse as freshmen. So you're going to develop your freshmen, give them opportunities. And when the seniors leave and the upperclassmen leave, who are you going to turn to uh, beside those freshmen that become sophomores and juniors in the future, you'll find upperclassmen that can complement those that are youthful and don't fully understand the college game to keep adding three stars. And again, three stars can develop into what seem like four or five stars from sophomore to junior to senior year. A lot like Buddy Beheim did, even Mark Dolajai, he was probably a no star coming into Syracuse and he really developed himself into an everyday ACC starter with his skill set, his footwork and how he was able to just grow as a player that could play multiple positions on both ends of the floor. Right. So I look at it and say, okay, should you be concerned about the class of 2023? No. The reason I tease that article and I say, go read it on the orange is you should probably be concerned for 2024, 2025, because what we saw out of 2022 is that four stars and even borderline five stars are willing to come to Syracuse. But now there's zero consideration of what I'm seeing out of 2023, 2024, 2025, and what's going to happen to these four and five stars if they don't get playing time or if they're really good. The game is changing, Liam. They're either going to head to the NBA or head into the transfer portal, or try to find a place where they can make more money. So I'm more concerned for what we're seeing out of the class of 2024, which is, oh, Syracuse, just recruit every four and five star that'll probably uh, that'll probably put up a wall against you at the end of the day. I just think that that is going fishing too far in the future. Go and dive into the class of 2024 and find some three stars. Find some with potential before they blow up and Duke and Kansas is on their tail. So I'm not concerned that there's a goose egg in the class of 2023. I'm more concerned with how recruiting develops over time from 2024, 2025, and onward. Real quick, Marek Dolzhai was a four-star, believe it or not. Right, but when he came into the, the Syracuse program, and again, very skinny, very lean, yep. very skilled, you look at him and say, okay, by the metrics, he's a four-star. I test him freshman year. That's not a four-star. Okay, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But let's circle back. I'm going to tell you exactly why you're wrong right now, and I'm going to use part of your argument. 
So you talked about the transfer portal and its reliability to just ship these new guys in left and right. Like it's, it's back in the day and we have the triangle exchange where Europe was shipping goods to Asia. Asia was shipping goods to South America. South America was shipping goods to Europe. That's what college basketball feels like right now. You certainly cannot bank on that. Yes, you can. No, you most certainly cannot. You can. I I mean, this probably isn't going to happen, but for all we know, the transfer portal could shut down and everyone could be content with where they are. And I see you rolling your eyes. Great that there's validity to it, but it is possible. But say all six, or at least Judah Mintz and Chris Bunch, your two marquee guys, decide they want out after one season. And then you lose Joe, Jesse, Saimir. What do you have left? Benny Williams, Justin Taylor, and a bunch of unproven's? And really, Benny and Justin are unproven as of this moment. I have high hopes for both of them this coming season. But given the uncertainty of the transfer portal, you're talking about bringing guys in, guys could be shipping out straight out of the docket as well. And I think that alone has me stared that there's there is no certainty behind or beyond this coming March. None. Or April if they make the national championship game. But – <laughs> and okay, okay, Leo. <laughs> I cannot want to laugh. It's true, it's true though. It's true though. Okay, I like I like that you're covering all the bases. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I see. I understand, and I get it. The reason I believe that the transfer portal is a valuable asset that can be used for. I'm not saying it's not valuable. I'm saying it's. No. Everything. I mean, recruiting itself is unpredictable because you pick up a five-star and then he doesn't play well. I I would rather someone that is older and knows the college game. I just think that college basketball is heading in the direction of younger kids want money and they want uh, recognition. And that's why a lot of them go to the G League. A lot of them make their money at a big-time program. But I think it's more unproven to bring in a five-star as Syracuse did with Benny Williams, to then grab someone out of the transfer portal and say, well, at least you've done something. At least maybe you haven't done a lot, but you've done something. You, would you agree that Jimmy Bayheim was a better ad than Benny Williams last year? Yeah. So again, I'm not saying that every five-star recruit is Benny Williams and every transfer is Jimmy Bayheim, right? Because Syracuse got Simon Torrance when he put up, you know, a three oranges and, and a baseball bat at Marquette, right? It's not like he did anything. And then he came to Syracuse and just did a little bit. So again, I'm not saying that everyone's as proven as Jimmy Beheim was in his four years at Cornell. And everyone's like Benny Williams, where they come in and they don't look like they can shoot a jump shot and they look scared when they're playing college basketball. But I, from what I see, the game is heading in a direction where you're going to want money, and recognition, which everyone wanted recognition, but the love for the game is out of the transfer portal. So I'm not too scared that a big time guy that looks at Syracuse and says, you know, eh, I don't mind it as much because of the six recruits. Okay. Now, Liam, if they didn't have six recruits, if they didn't have the six freshmen, then this Syracuse program would go down in shambles, but they have their future. Rely on your future. All right. I, I get what you're saying and that there's not this massive recruiting class. In fact, I don't really think there is much need for one, but one or two would ease just about every single conscience here at Orange Fizz, except for 
evidently yours. But well, question for you, really quick, just quick added. For the one or the two, what stars are you giving? Are you saying a, a five star or four star? Would you be fine with two three stars? I'd be more than fine with two three stars. I would okay. be more than fine with two three stars, assuming that everyone you've brought in this year isn't transferring. Okay, I understand. And okay. that that's where I'm worried. I'm worried that one or multiple of the hot shots they brought in is going to transfer and everything is seemingly going to be all for naught. Now, do I think all of them will transfer? Absolutely not. A few of them will definitely stick around, especially when you consider Joe and Jesse are going to be gone after this coming year. Well, Joe opens up two starting spots and more or peck better rolls off the bench for Peter Carey or insert someone. Though hockey, Peter Carey could have be a shocker to Orange fans. I'm just going. I agree. I agree. But it's assuming that no one transfers in this class, then it's not a gigantic deal. However, you know what happens when you assume. Yes, I mean, you especially donkey, you make a donkey out of you and me. Yeah, well, okay. we'll see. That's why there's a basketball season that's not relying on what we have to say. Indeed. We have one more topic left here on today's Fizz 5. Let's get into it. Number five. On Thursday, John Wildhack spoke to the media, giving his fall update that he typically gives every year. Cam, a lot to unpack from this, but let's start with conference realignment because he said he had full faith in Jim Phillips. And I wrote a series of pieces about conference realignment over the summer if you want to go back and check those out. The ACC is the only Power 5 conference to have not been directly affected by this round of conference realignment. Do what Does Wildhack's confidence in Phillips increase your level of faith that the ACC will remain stable for the foreseeable future? I think the ACC will remain stable. That's just my thought. Uh, it, I mean, it, it, to me, it means nothing because as much confidence as John Wildtack can have, that answer could just be, uh, you know, be putting up a facade on, well, I don't really am not fully aware of anything that has changed over the course of the past month or two. There's a chance he spoke to Jim Phillips you know, two weeks ago, and Jim was like, yeah, no, we're all good. But then how can I trust that there are not behind-the-scenes deals being done? I think the ACC is fine because the Atlantic Coast Conference is, is one of those conferences that you just don't know other than basketball, right? Football is kind of wacky, right? You know what, what you're going to get out of the SEC. You know the Big 12 and the Big 10 is going to be competitive as is, and you add more teams to that. And there are a few teams that you would just intrinsically say, "Hey." That team kind of belongs in that other conference. With the ACC, they just seem more structured. And other than the success that they garner in basketball, it's not like you look at football and say, you know, you really need to add another couple programs other than when Notre Dame entered because of COVID and everything. I think the only possibility is Notre Dame realizes that being independent will never work and they do go to the ACC. With John Wildhack saying that all I can gauge from what he's saying is, hey, I, I haven't gotten any further updates for right now. Everything's good. But just as that USC-UCLA deal to the Big Ten went, it kind of came out of nowhere. It yeah. was dropped on a ball like no one knew it was coming. So if you told me tomorrow that Jim Phillips announced that Notre Dame has interest in joining the ACC, I, it wouldn't come as a shock to me because right. it's all money and all under-the-table money deals. 
but be, John Wildhack saying that really doesn't do doesn't I, I think that you create speculation but his answer was very safe it, it was very PR trained I also don't think Notre Dame joining the ACC would have that much of a detrimental impact other than the fact that now you have uneven divisions or maybe you wouldn't even have divisions at all considering the new scheduling format coming this year so I think it Notre Dame joining the ACC for football wouldn't tarnish the conference whatsoever from my vantage point. So at that point, why not? What you need to be worried about is teams leaving. There's this cam. There is a scenario where I could see Florida state or Louisville or Miami, three of the more well-rounded programs in the ACC. And I mean, in terms of all, all athletics, there are scenarios I could see any of them bolting for the SEC. Do I think it will happen? No, but you have to have that thought in the back of your head. And granted, I don't know why they would want to leave because seeing how tech, how mediocre Texas and Oklahoma have been this year and how they're going to get flattened when they join the SEC in a few years, I don't understand why they would want to leave because nothing in my the back of my mind is telling me that either the Seminoles, Cardinals, or Hurricanes have any sort of reason to be getting clobbered by Alabama or Georgia or dare I say it, the Vanderbilt Commodores. Oh, wow. There you go. Oh, hot takes. I may be reaching a little bit, but you get the point I'm trying to make. Yes. Now, one thing that did stand out uh, to me in that John Wildhack presser is the comments on Dino Babers and the comments on this football program. A year ago, two years ago, three years ago, there was constant talk about, hey, what's Dino Babers' job security? Is this coaching staff good enough to lead a great team as they did back in 2018. And granted, uh, Dino Babers is the one left from 2018. There are a few ancillary coaches, but come on, it's Dino Babers. He is in charge. You've gone through a slew of offensive coordinators. Sterling Gilbert's out the door. Tony White is your guy on the defensive side for now. I know there's speculation about him possibly leaving for, uh, is it that Arizona State job? That's what I've been hearing. That's what I've been hearing. Yeah, so... Uh, and I understand it, and but but the fact that now John Wildhack is in a spot to say what he said was Dino Babers isn't on the hot seat, as he said over the past three years, if he's won five, one, or another five games, uh, it, it's just it, I find it comedic because you get to the point where you want to test a coach's uh, credibility and, and test his actual ability just being a coach. And for time and time again, I think this is an I told you so moment from Wildtack. Absolutely. I mean, he, kept, he kept saying he's not on the hot seat. And everyone in Syracuse says, uh, the Orange just went one in 10. What do you mean he's not on the hot seat? Just kept saying it over and over. And this is the I told you so moment. Lauding Dino Babers for the coaches that 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 they hired and Dino Babers helped in that uh, in that process and just applauding Dino Babers for how he's been able to maintain uh, a, a fan base that seemed to have withered away over the past couple of years. So my main, my main takeaway was Dino Babers is not on the hot seat. No one's surprised by that after a five and zero start. And this is the big, I told you so moment for John Wildback. Yeah, absolutely. Because Cam, man, I think most of our colleagues here at Orange Fizz can attest to this. I think the vast majority of the media was calling for Dino Babers to be fired after a frankly an embarrassing season where the Orange completely collapsed down the stretch. They get run out of the bazooka by Louisville. Then they put up a no fight against NC State. Their game against Pitt was 
let's call it spirited. Courtney Jackson played well, but that's about it. They completely crumbled down the stretch. I understand the schedule was tough, but there's no excuse for withering like that when you're one win away from bowl eligibility, bar none. So I think I think this absolutely was a big I told you so moment for Coach Wildhack because truth be told, everyone's been doubting him. And I feel like the same can be said too with men's basketball. Like, why isn't Jim Beheim up out the door yet? And Wildhack could have another one of those big I told you so moments down the line because it feels like most of Central New York is calling for his Ned now too, which I'm not in favor of, but it Wildhack could have a massive laugh at the Central New York audience that has been mocking him for all the decisions he's made in the very near future. Last point I'll make here before, of course, we got to wrap things up. Non-revenue sports, as they call them. So everything outside of uh, of football, is it both basketballs? Or just football, men's, basketball, men's basketball, men's lacrosse. Men's lacrosse, right? Outside of those, outside of those three sports. Uh, he also talked about just the success of fall sports Absolutely. in general. I mean, there's now, I think there's now five ranked teams on campus. Women's co- cross country just jumped into that realm. You got field hockey and volleyball is playing well, but they're, they're obviously not ranked. Football is ranked. I'm trying to think of them on the fly, but currently struggling to do so. So that's why I'm riffing over right. and over yeah. again. Yeah. Both know- soccer teams look really good. Oh, soccer. Yeah. Men's soccer. Yes. Is another one. And then there's another, there's, there's five. So again, last point I'll make. Shout out to all the other sports as well, because they're keeping this this Syracuse is a sports town mentality alive. Absolutely. Volleyball didn't lose its first conference game until this past week. The men's soccer team, though it lost to Cornell not too long ago, had a big win over Wake Forest the other night. Women's soccer played the second ranked team in the country in Virginia to a draw today. How about that? And then Everyone. They were getting outshot, Liam. They were getting outshot. I looked at the, the score sheet or the box score at one point, 21 to one with like 20 minutes to go. And they, 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 they uh, and they held a draw, which is good. Hockey is also very good. And like you said, the cross country teams, that was my sport in high school. Both of them are looking solid too. Yeah. It, it's a good time to be a Syracuse fan. And with everything that's happened over the past couple of years, where it just seems like only a couple sports find that success and it's few and far between again, enjoy it. Go to the orangefizz.com, read those articles, enjoy success as we're able to put it out, right? Like enjoy the sex, the success with us. Okay. I can't think of a better way to end this episode of Fizz five with Cameron is I'm Liam Griffin. Thanks so much for checking us out. Be sure to keep up with all of our content online and on Twitter at Orange Fizz. We'll catch you next time. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.